Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message will inspire you to follow Jesus with your heart, soul, and Well, uh, hey, if you don't know me, my name's Addison. I am on staff here as the uh, kids and students directors. I don't know. I don't really know my title. I don't have it memorized, at least. Uh, and so, uh, and it's been a pleasure. I've been here for about three years, uh, and I get to teach a little bit. And usually when I teach, uh, I open up with a story uh, about my life, and that is actually not what we're doing this morning. What we're doing this morning is I'm actually going to give you and this is going to sound fun, but it is going to be fun, hopefully, uh, a little brief history lesson, okay? Okay, so uh, a bunch of high schoolers were like, I get this enough already. Um, so in 1803, there is a big thing that happened in the history of the United States, and that thing was called the Louisiana Purchase, okay? So most of us probably heard about the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, some of y'all maybe have not. And so what that was was Thomas Jefferson, who was president at the time, uh, bought for $15 million from France a chunk of land. It was about a third of uh, what we know as the United States now. In fact, I think Cody was um, actually part of that uh, purchase, at least a big chunk of Wyoming and Montana was. And so Thomas Jefferson bought in 1803 a chunk of land from France for $15 million. Uh, and, and from that, then America started to expand westward. But here is a, a different perspective that I'm going to kind of give you this morning. Is before 1803, there were actually people, American citizens from the colonies, that already moved westward. And one of the uh, biggest kind of uh, populations in this time was what we now know as St. Louis. And so there's a bunch of people, fur traders and mountain men and all these things that left to have a business and to sell things and to make a living outside of the colonies. And then what was then France, or France territory at least. And, and so what I want to do is kind of give you a perspective from these people. Okay, so imagine in 1802, you're a fur trader and you're in St. Louis, or what we now know as St. Louis, and you're trading things. Here's the difference though. At that point, you were under France occupation. So what that meant is you could trade and do whatever you wanted. You could do business. And, but you were paying taxes to France on whatever you made. In addition to that, you were under the protection of France. But at that time, no one really cared in France about what was going on there. So there really wasn't any protection. Now listen to this, though. All of a sudden, the Louisiana Purchase happens. And overnight... That becomes American territory, and America takes over. And so imagine how much of a difference that makes in your life if you're there at that time. Overnight, all of a sudden, you're not paying taxes to France, and so your priorities shift. You're not trying to make the France tax collector happy. You're now looking at America and paying American taxes. Not only that, but now you have protection. And so if a deal went south or something to that nature, you would have actual protection from the American 
government. And so here's the point I'm trying to make, is because of that territory, who owned it, and who that person, who that territory belonged to, it shifted. When it changed who it belonged to, it shifted everything. It shifted these people's priorities. It shifted what they do. It shifted how they view their own business, who they're selling to, how comfortable they are selling to things, who they're paying taxes to. It changed all of these things just based on who they belong to, who that territory belonged to. And as Christians, this is what I want us to hear this morning, is if you are a Christian in this room and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, your heart belongs to him now. It no longer belongs to you. Which means that everything in your life should shift. Your priorities should be different. The way you live your life should be different. Your worldview should be different. And what we're going to talk about at the end of today is even the way you view family should be different. Everything should be different. And so uh, if you've been with us, you know we're going through Matthew. So this morning we're going to pick back up in Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50. And as you're turning there, let me kind of give you some context, okay? So Matthew 12, we've been in it for a little bit. Uh, In Matthew 12, verses 1 through 45, okay, so up until this Sunday, what we've been going through is kind of a a broad section where Jesus is kind of uh, rebuking maybe or at least confronting the Pharisees. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but now this section in verse 46 through 50, we get a whole different setting. And Jesus is now in this house with his disciples, and we're going to read a story and get a lesson out of what happens. And so it'll be on the screen. This is what it says, starting in 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is your, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so before we get into it, okay, I'm going to give you three things. One, this morning, uh, rather than give you three points, uh, I'm actually going to give you three questions for you to assess in your own life. Okay, so it's going to look slightly different in that regard. The second thing uh, is let me address this before we get into it. Okay, uh, if you are good with numbers, you just, as I read, you realize that there is no verse 47 in there. Okay, so if you have an ESV Bible, verse 47 is not in there. Now, if you have NLT or something else, NIV, then verse 47 will be in there. I don't, know, I don't necessarily agree with what ESV did, but what they did was basically say that it was repeating verse 46, and so they just took it out, because I guess they wanted to save words. I don't know. Uh, but there's not, you're not missing a ton if verse 47, like if you're skipping over it in ESV, okay? So it's all right. Uh, And then the last thing I want to address before we start talking and getting into it is this. Jesus is not making a statement, and he's not making a dig at his own biological family, okay? It's easy to read this and think, like, Jesus is is making a dig or a slight uh, to his own family, and that's not the case at all. He's trying to make a bigger point, and he's using his family as an example of what that bigger point is. And so I just wanted to say that 
from the top. What he's doing specifically in verse 49, let me say that again. Okay, so the setting, imagine this. Jesus is in a house with his disciples and then Jesus' mother and his sisters, and by the way, uh, it's believed that it's not father. It doesn't say father because they believe that Joseph is dead at this point. That's the only reason he's left out. But, so Jesus is in here in the house, and his mother and uh, brothers or sisters are outside of the house, and they want to talk to him. And, and verse 49, and they go, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And, and Jesus says this in verse 49. Here are my mother and brothers, referring to the disciples. So what he's doing is not making a slight to his family, but he's rather making a statement about the order of which we put things and the order of which we value things. Okay? And another way to put that is he's making a statement about your priorities and what they should be. So my first question is this. What are your priorities? What Jesus is saying in here is, listen, I'm going to follow my heavenly father regardless of what else happens in my life. I'm going to follow my heavenly father even over my own biological family. Why? Because I've been adopted, and this is true of everybody in this room, because we've been adopted into a new family. By the grace of God, we are now part of a new eternal family. And again, I want to be clear. Part of being a Christian, part of being that family, is raising your kids in the way they should go, right? That's Proverbs 22. It's also, if you go read Ephesians 4, or no, 6, rather, where it says, children obey your parents, fathers don't uh, provoke your children to anger, so on and so forth. Like, that's part of being a Christian. And so it's not a statement about the biological family, again, but it's rather a statement about your priorities, the end of the day, the Bible is clear. It's clear. Following Jesus comes before anything and everything we do. Following Jesus is of the utmost importance. And by the way, this shouldn't be a controversial statement. It's wild to me how often that we as Christians lose sight of the power or the importance of the gospel and we lose sight and, and lose our awe of God. How crazy is that? Think about it. Like if we were dead, this is the gospel. If we were dead in our trespasses, okay, a friend of mine says this, do you know what dead people can do? Nothing. That was us. We had no hope. We are dead in our trespasses because of the sin that's in our heart. But God sent his son, Jesus, on the cross to be a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. And if we trust in him and believe in him, then we will have eternal life. And our entire life changes. By the way, that eternal life isn't when you die. That eternal life can start now, friends. Okay, so we were dead in our trespasses and now we have hope and fullness of life with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the gospel. So how in the world do we lose sight of that and go, well, I don't know if it's really worth following Jesus and putting Jesus above these other things. That's wild. What would happen if every single day you woke up and reminded yourself of the truth of the gospel and chose that you were gonna believe it? I guarantee you that your life would be different. My life would be different. 
we ought to be people that remember the power of the gospel and that ought to lead us to having more and more awe of God. Uh, there's a story that I love telling. Uh, I told them this morning I was going to tell it, and they made fun of me because I, I tell this all the time. Uh, and so there's a family in here. Uh, we have talked about their story for about four months. Uh, that's an exaggeration. But the Furlands. Uh, and so the Furlands, if you don't know them, they're a fantastic family. You should get to know them. Uh, but they, uh, they have two boys, two twin boys, and uh, Roman and Loki. That's what we call them. They're French, uh, and so they have French names, and I'm not even going to try to say it. Uh, I think I could, but if I, it would be so embarrassing. So, uh, uh, Roman and Loki, and they have a story where they, they go to Cody High School. Uh, and let me tell you, their first priority is Jesus, is following Jesus. And they told a story one time. Imagine this. We're in a small group on Wednesday night, so it's a bunch of high school boys uh, at somebody's house. And they start telling the story. Imagine the faces uh, of everybody else. And their story is this. They're, they're in a class, I forget which class, in the high school. And uh, they have a teacher that continually kept using the Lord's name in vain and sometimes cussed. And after a while, these two twins went to that teacher and politely just asked, hey, would you please stop using the Lord's name in vain? It's offensive to me. And, and the teacher, they actually told me this morning, the teacher like really tries not to, and when she does, she looks at them and is like, I'm so sorry. It's just kind of funny. Um, and, and that is amazing. And here's the thing, is I know, because I know when they told that story in our small group, that people looked at them like they were crazy. And I know, me telling that story right here, there's people that think that's crazy or too extreme. And let me pose a question to you. If the gospel is true and your, your life is completely changed, you had no hope and now you have hope. You were dead and now you're alive. If that's really true, then is the Furlan's story crazy or are you crazy for not doing anything different? How can your life look the same if the story of the gospel is true? It shouldn't. But so often, we take the gospel for granted and we go our day-to-day lives and nothing looks different. That's crazy. That's crazy. But it starts with asking yourself what your priorities are. In a good way, and by the way, I know the church answer is, yeah, obviously Jesus is first. But really assess that in your life. What do you think about? What do you do? What do you spend your time really aiming towards? Is it Jesus Is it TV? Is it your own family? Is it, what is it? We would be different people if we were set on making our priority, what we thought about, what we did, all around Jesus. We would be different people. But here's the thing. Is that's never gonna happen unless we're people who truly follow Jesus. Jesus. That's the thing we have to realize. And and by the way, uh, we're going to get into here in a second, in about five minutes, probably, hopefully, unless I get on a tangent, um, some church statistics, okay? 
And so uh, there's about 63% of Americans that would say that they're Christian, but that number is declining. And let me just be the first to say, coming off that Furland story, the reason that that number is declining is because people in my generation, people in the generation above me and below me, are tired of watching their parents for six days out of the week live life like the gospel is not true and then show up on Sunday and see them put on a good face and dress up nice and act like they're good people. Because they're being told the gospel, and by the way, what I just described doesn't make sense. They're being told the gospel, and they're like, listen, if this is true, then our life should be completely different. They're tired. We're tired of seeing people play this church game. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is following Jesus. And if we want to see revival in Cody and we want to see revival in this church, then we're going to have to be people that follow Jesus, not just play this church game, not just lie and not confess our sins. We've got to go look at Acts 2 and try to follow that. We've got to go look at the one another's and live that out actively. We're going to fall short all the time, but that's what's going to be different, and that's what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is not showing up on Sunday. You can show up every single Sunday for the rest of your life and go to hell. But do you follow Jesus? I got ahead of myself because my second question is do you follow Jesus? <laughs> uh, and so what I want to do is, is read verse 50. If you can put it back up on the screen. It says this. It says, so Jesus stretches out his hands. These are my family. These are my brothers and sisters. Verse 50 says this. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There's an interesting distinction that he makes here, that we have to talk about, which is this. He doesn't say, whoever believes in Jesus is my brother and sister. He says, whoever does the will of my father. And, and so the question you gotta ask, right, is, hey, that sure sounds legalistic. Doesn't it? I mean, whoever does the will, it's not about doing. That's what we've all been told. It's not about doing, it's about believing. It's about faith. And so, and by the way, I'm the one every single time or almost every time I've been up here, I, I've said Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is true. And so what, what does this verse 50 mean? It's very simple. Let me say this. Faith in Jesus saves. Faith alone saves. That is without a doubt true. But a faith that saves is a faith that leads to repentance. Faith is not faith without repentance. It's the only next step is repentance. Go read 1 John. It's very clear. He goes, listen, how can you be a Christian and keep on sinning the way that you're sinning? Repentance is and has to be part of your life. And so do you follow, truly follow Jesus? There's a difference between uh, maybe intellectually agreeing with a set of ideas and actually following Jesus. So do you really follow him? Like I said earlier, 63%, this is according to Pew Research, 63% of Americans say that they are Christians. And that is like if you looked at the graph, it's, it's this for a long time and then it's this. It goes down quick and it's going down quick. Uh, in a book I'm reading, uh, a guy named John Mark Comer took a bunch of different research uh, kind of uh, organizations and kind of meshed them together and he kind of uh, 
would say that under his research, that about 13% of Americans actually follow Jesus. So that's a big difference, 63 to 13. And then not only that, but Barna Group, which is kind of like the leading Christian statistics organization, says that 6% hold to a biblical worldview. 6% of Americans hold to a true biblical worldview. That gap right there, let me just tell you, that 63% and that 13 or 6, that right there, that gap, is the difference between following Jesus and not. And let me just tell you that that number, the 63%, is going to continue to go down until it's the same number as the 13. You want to know why? It's because our culture in America is more and more opposing Christianity. It's only going to get less and less popular and less and less okay to be a Christian. And so we're finding out that those people who don't actually follow Jesus, but they just attend church, or they're just maybe agreeing philosophically with that maybe uh, uh, Jesus could be the Son of God, but they're not actually repenting, they're not following him, we're learning that under pressure, those people stop. They quit. And that's the difference between the 63% and the 13 And so you have to make a decision. Here's why I'm telling you that. Is because you've got to make a decision. I guarantee you that there are people in this room who are part of that 16 and not part of that 13. And you've got to make a decision that you're going to follow Jesus. You've got to. Because when pressure comes, you're going to fold. Now's the time to make the decision that you're going to, with everything you have above your job, above your own uh, you know, whatever you want to do, your own happiness or your own uh, hobbies, whatever it is, you have to determine right now, before the pressure comes, that you're going to follow Jesus and he's going to be your number one priority. Are you truly a disciple of Jesus? Like, is he your teacher? Or is he just something that when your back's against the wall, you can run to and, and it gives you some amount of comfort? Let's be people, imagine this. Imagine if everyone in this room, I don't know how many people are here, I'm not gonna guesstimate, like say let's 300 people. Imagine if us, <laughs> I did guesstimate, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Chet. Uh, it's called accountability. Uh, imagine if we, in this room, all decided that Jesus was going to be our number one priority. We're gonna follow him and him above everything else we do. And if it means we're going to get fired from our job, then so be it, because I trust the Lord, and I'm secure in him, and he will guide our way. What would happen if us in this room left and fully lived our lives for Jesus? I guarantee you this. Cody wouldn't be the same. It would not be. We would see God move in ways we could not imagine. Coworkers, neighbors would be radically changed. But the question is, will you do it? Will you truly follow Jesus? So you have to ask yourself, will you really follow Jesus? The last point I want to uh, talk about, and the last question I, I want to uh, address, is probably the one that we're all like waiting for, based on this passage. But before I talk about it, I want to say this. The question three, my third question, only matters so much as your answer to this question one and two. 
You have to be following Jesus. My, my last question is this. Who is your real family? Who's your family? Ephesians 2.19 says this. If you are saved, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with all saints, all the saints and members of the household of God. John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in him, his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we're children of God, listen, friends, we are family. Us as Christians are family. Do we really act like it, though? And so here's what I want to talk about. Listen, we are a new family. You have a new family. If you wanted, if you always grew up and you had a small family, you always wanted a big family, well, congratulations, okay? Because you got a bigger family, um, a real big family, in fact. Uh, and so uh, that's a great thing to say. But when I say that, I think a lot of us have this, like, great idea of what that means, that we all, like, just, like, love each other. Well, that's true, but we might have a different idea of love. It's neither here nor there. But it, it's, like, this great thing that we always say, but I don't know if we actually think about it and break it down, okay? So here's what it really means to be a family, a spiritual family, is that, one, we've got to live out scriptures with each other. We've got to live out the love, the one another's with each other. Yes, love one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, and so fulfill the law of God. That's an amazing verse, Galatians 6, 2. Uh, but there's about 35 one another's in scripture, and we are called to live those out with one another, and that includes admonish one another, that's a hard thing to do, and it doesn't always go well. And so listen, here's what it means to be family, is that you better buckle up. Because families have disagreements. It gets messy. We have conflict. We hurt each other's feelings. We argue with each other. We don't always get along. But there's one thing that families always do and should always do, which is they figure it out. They talk through their conflict. What if this was a place that we fully worked through our conflict, even though we didn't want to, even though it hurt, even though it was painful, even though it's probably might be even easier if we ignored it? What if this was a place that worked through our conflict? Listen, especially in Cody, Wyoming, that would be way different. I mean, think about all the history of conflicts in this town. Go to Cody Classifieds and go, I mean, honestly, and read the comment sections. But what if this was a place that we dealt with that stuff? I mean, wouldn't people take notice? They would. That's what we're called to do. The other thing that families are called to do is have each other's backs. I can think of, I should have written down all the examples. This week, like three or four different uh, kind of situations uh, that I had to hear some hard feedback about my own life whether it be my own parenting, whether it be uh, something that I did, somebody didn't agree with or thought that it, it was sin. And it was hard to hear. Here's the difference. Is that when I heard that, I knew that they were telling that, me that because they love me and they have my back and they want what's best for me. And it changed my attitude. Four years ago, if somebody told me that, I would have been offended. I would have said, get out of my life. I don't want you. Like, well, you don't know what my life's even like. But it's different because when you're a family, you know that they have your back. And they love you enough to tell you. 
And so how do you really view your family in Christ? Do you really view them as a family? What does church mean to you? Listen, Greg says this all the time. The church is a people, not a place. That's 100% true. But do you view your people like they're your family? Because I think a lot of us live like we do not. We have our family, and then we have the church people over here, and they're Christians, and so we get along with them. But then I also have my work group over here, and so I kind of like need to do like act like this and be like this with my work people, and then kind of like do this on Sunday. No. No. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Our relationships should look different. They should. And so you have to ask yourself, do you really act like your family in Christ is your family? John 13, 35, I don't know if this one's on the screen, it says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Could someone tell that you were a disciple of Jesus based on your love for others? Listen, when I ask that question in my own life, I'm convicted of how many times I choose myself over loving y'all. I'd rather be at home and watch TV on a Friday night than try and be proactive, invite people over and get to know them like they're in my family. What would it look like for us to act like the family of God? I mean, what a beautiful thing that could be. But it's only gonna happen if you're truly following Jesus and it's only gonna happen if Jesus is your priority. Not your work, not your job, not anything else, but following Jesus, it comes before everything else. That's when it's gonna look amazing. And so listen, as, we, as the worship team comes up here, I want us to put the three questions uh, on the screen, please. I want you to take a picture of that. And either on the car ride home, or you can write it down, sorry. Uh, on the car ride home, or your lunch table, what I want you to do is go around and ask those questions. And don't just give the churchy answer, but give an honest account of your life. What are your real priorities? What do you spend the most time doing and thinking about? Listen, as I assessed that a couple of months ago, I realized that I put media above Jesus a lot. There's a lot of us that have priorities that maybe we, not, we, we don't like to admit it, but it's true that they're above Jesus. They're above following Jesus. Second question, do you really follow Jesus or are you just here to make yourself feel good, to check off a box because you feel like you ought to come to church? Christianity is not about coming to church. It's about following Jesus. That's gonna put things in perspective for you. That's the thing that's gonna change your life. And lastly, it's who is your family? Do you act like the people of God are really your family. Ask yourself these questions. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your guidance and your message. I pray that today is the day that when we leave here, we act like the family of God, 
not just Outpost Community Church, but CMA. I pray that uh, House of Prayer, I pray that Cody Bible, all of us become united and act like the people of God and act like we are brothers and sisters in the same family because we are. I pray that the people in this town who maybe aren't Christians see the unity in the church and are drawn towards it. We love you and we thank you. In your precious name, amen.